our second week of a series we're doing called, for the summer, Jesus at the Beach. And so, many of you are looking forward to vacation or hoping to take a vacation. Some of you aren't going to be able to take a vacation. So the next four weeks on Sunday, we're going to, Jesus spent a lot of time at the beach and around the water. A beach vacation, I hear, is spectacular. Um, that's what, we've never taken one, um, but... I keep being told you need to go to the beach, take a beach vacation, take a beach vacation. So we're going to do that a little bit today. But life is not always a beach vacation, is it? Even for many people in life, maybe even for some of you, if you were to evaluate your life and look at your life now, you would say, you know what, I feel like all my life is is just a December blizzard. It just feels like it's a constant blizzard. No matter what I try, it doesn't seem like it quite works. I'm doing everything that I know what to do, but it's not quite working out. It just seems like life becomes a blizzard of drama and stress and drama and stress. And when I think the snow's going to stop and the troubles are going to stop, all of a sudden a new storm pops up. That may be some of your lives. Some of you, though, are believers. Some of you know Jesus Christ. Some of you have given your life over to him. But for you, you'd say, well, life isn't quite like the blizzard it used to be. In my life, things aren't weren't as turmoil as they used to be. But if I was really honest, my life is more, as Brittany Manning says, more like a life of a long January. It just seems very cold. Things aren't moving. It doesn't feel like... I'm having the joy and the satisfaction that I'm, I thought I was going to get as being a Christian. So it's not as bad as it used to be, but if I'm really honest, it, it just seems like it's a cold January in my life. And Jesus has something to say about that. And so this morning, we are going to go to the beach. We all want that, don't we? We like a beach vacation. We want to enjoy that. The Bible promises lots of things. So this morning, we're going to take off here from Cornerstone, and we're going to head over to Capernaum. So let's fly off, buckle up your seatbelts, and uh, we will take off again going over. But as we're flying, where's your life at right now? Where are you at spiritually? Is things blizzardly? Is it January? And you're hoping that maybe you can just get to that beach spot. And does the Bible have anything to say to help us out? And so we're going to land over in Israel, right above Jerusalem, the Sea of Galilee. We're going to go to Capernaum. And Jesus spent most of his early ministry in Capernaum. And that's where he's at in Mark chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. It says this. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him. And he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, 
but sinners. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the privilege it is that we can join together in a free country and worship you. So, Lord, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would stir our hearts this morning. Be with those this morning who are living still life in a blizzard, that you would awaken them up to the truth of the gospel and the power of your grace. And for those Christians who feel like life is a January, I pray that you would speak to them, work in their hearts, and draw us closer to you. Lord, thanks for the baptisms. Thanks for calling people to yourself. Help us, Holy Spirit, right now to take away all distractions, hear from your word, and we respond to it the way you would want us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Jesus spent most of his time in his early ministry around Capernaum. And he would spend a lot of time in the synagogue talking and preaching to the Jews. And this is a picture of the synagogue of Capernaum that they have found and they've discovered. That's where Jesus would have taught and he would speak. And after he would speak there, he would go sometimes into people's homes and he would teach some more. And in Mark chapter 2, right before this account, when he goes out to the sea, Jesus was in a home. And as he was in this home... He healed a paralytic person. As he healed this person, after he would do these miracles, after he would do this ministry, many times in the Gospels, Jesus would go and serve the people, and then he would retreat to the sea. He'd go and serve in ministry, and he'd retreat back to the sea. And so he had just got done being around people and around doing all these things, healing this paralytic person. And he did what he always and often did. He'd be in ministry, and he'd go and retreat back to the sea. And so that's what he did here. And Jesus comes across as he's on the Sea of Galilee. He's walking along the lake shore. He's on the beach. And he looks up and he sees a guy named Levi, who's a tax collector uh, at the sea. Levi was not a good guy. People did not like tax collectors back in this time. The Romans had had control over the nation of Israel and over the Jews. And they had all these taxes. There was a land tax that they all had to pay, which was like 10%. And then there was a census tax for each person. They would have to pay a wage that Rome would would put on these people. And then there was a third tax that the Jews and the nation of Israel had to deal with from the Romans. And it was a customs tax. It was like a goods tax tax, or a toll tax. And so Capernaum was right in the center at the top of the sea, a very busy city. And so people are coming and going constantly. And so Levi, who was a Jew, would sit at his Roman authorized toll booth and apparently would take the customs from other Jews. And he would also, they would also do these customs and these tolls from Fishermen, So the fishermen would have to pay for the amount of fish they caught and pay a toll. And so he's down by the sea, by, down by the Lake of Galilee. And all these Jews, his people, are having to come to him, another Jew, and pay him money to go to the Romans. And the Jews hated tax collectors. It was one of their own ripping them off. And here, here's Levi. It says the son of Alphaeus. We don't know much about him besides the fact that he had a love of money. Because why else would a Jew join the Romans? And he was growing up, apparently he realized, you know what? What I want more than anything else is stuff. 
I want things. I want the good life. I see what the Romans have, and I want that. And somehow he convinced himself, because of his love for money, to say, I will become a Roman tax collector for them. And here's what the Romans would let these guys do. They would let the Jewish tax collectors, because they didn't want to mess with the Jews, they would say, hey, we will let you collect the tolls. Here's how much you're supposed to give us a week or a day. This is what we expect from you. We don't care what else you collect from them. Take as much as you want. There was no set toll price. So it was completely up to Levi when his neighbors and his friends and the other people in the city of Capernaum, the other Jews came, it was completely up to him to charge whatever he wanted. And he did. They were extremely greedy people. The Jews so hated the tax collectors because they were traitors to their own people. And then they were greedy. They were on the side of Rome. And then they were ripping their own people off for their own money, for their own wealth, for their own pleasures. They had the nicest house, the nicest places in Capernaum. And he didn't seem to care. They were kicked out of the synagogue. No tax collector could go with the Jew. They weren't allowed to vote with the rest of the Jews. They were so despised and hated. Not too different in some ways, how we feel towards the IRS sometimes. When you hear about all the stuff that's going on with them, throwing millions of dollar parties and all these different things. I mean, we're, we're hopefully going to go see some fireworks tonight at the Sandwich Fair. And how many of you are going to wear your I Heart the IRS red, white, and blue t-shirt? Anybody wearing that? You're going to bring that to, to... We don't do that. People are, we don't like people taking our money. And then to have somebody take your money who's just like you, and then they're doing it for their own desires and their own wealth. People hated tax collectors. They were traitors and thieves and great lovers of money. And they hung out with tax collectors and sinners. They were the outcasts of the society. And that's who Jesus comes across. And Jesus is walking by, and he sees this guy, Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax booth, this despised outcast of Jewish society. And Jesus walks up to him, and he says, follow me. And immediately, Levi got up and followed him. This guy had to have unbelievable low self-esteem in his own people. He was all about money. He was all about his own stuff. He was completely flawed as far as anybody in society felt. And I think even deep down, Levi knew that he was flawed. He knew that this really wasn't right. Taking money from my own people, supporting the Romans, but his greed overwhelmed him. His desire overwhelmed him. But here's this flawed tax collector sitting at the beach doing his job, ripping people off. And Jesus says, follow me. That is huge for us, because the truth is, all of us are Levites. We are all thieves and crooks and ripoffs, and our pride and our desire for stuff has caused us to sin. We are flawed. But the good news for us is that Jesus comes up and he says, flawed ones, they're wanted. I want the flawed ones. It's an amazing story. 
And it happens really quick. It doesn't, Jesus just tells the story really quick. Here's this guy who's ripping people off. Jesus comes up and says, you're absolutely flawed. You're an outcast of society. I want you. Follow me. He gets up and he starts following Jesus immediately. And he is different than Peter and James and John. They were called last week. If you remember, Jesus walked up to them on the beach and said, follow me. Leave your fishing stuff. They can leave their fishing stuff. But guess what? They could go back to fishing, didn't they? And for the rest of their ministry, even with Jesus, they could still fish. They could still do the thing that they had done. But for Levi, when he got up and walked away and followed Jesus, he knew what he was doing. He could never go back. Because to go back to ripping people off, which was part of the job, he couldn't be a follower of Jesus. So when Levi got up and left, When this flawed one got up and left, he realized he was giving up everything to follow Jesus. But the good news for us is we're with Levi's. Some of you may feel like your life's a complete blizzard. It's just a disaster. You're trying all these different things. You can't figure this out. Life seems very complicated. You're trying and you're trying and it goes well for you for a little bit. But then all of a sudden, another blizzard hits, and you can't figure out what's wrong. Why is it that I seem to constantly mess my own life up? Why is it when I think I can, it's going to go well, I, I end up messing it up again? Why do I feel so flawed? No one's going to want me. I'm helpless. God will never forgive me for the things that I've done. I know what I am. And Jesus comes to you this morning, and he says, it's the flawed ones that I want. You're the one that I want. You're the one that I've come for. You're the one that I want to forgive. Because my grace is that great. I left the crowds to come to the beach, and I walked up to you. You didn't walk up to me. Jesus is coming to you if your life's a blizzard this morning. And he's saying, follow me. He's saying, well, I'm messed up. I've got problems. I'm a Christian and I've messed up and I don't think God can forgive me anymore. I can't seem to figure this thing out. Jesus says, that's who I want. I want you. I want you. You are flawed and I want you, so follow me. He said, what about my my sin, Jesus? What about all this stuff? Because Jesus caught Levi red-handed, didn't he? I mean, he is sitting right in the tax booth. It's not like Levi can say, hey, Jesus, hey, man, how's it going? I'm all clean cut. I've cleaned my life up. Things are going good. No, Jesus came to Levi exactly at the point of his sin, right where his greed was at its highest, in the tax booth. And you say, well, I'm a mess right now. I've got all kinds of sins. There's no way that God can forgive me. Or I'm a believer but I've just done too much. I don't think I can overcome this. Jesus walks up to you and he says, I want you. You're the one that I want. That's amazing grace. He doesn't say clean up your tax booth, make everything right, and then come follow me. He just says, come follow me. Right where you are at, in the midst of the mess that you are in, come follow me. That's unbelievable grace. 
And because of what Jesus has done for us, because of his death on the cross for you, because of his love for you, the Bible says he puts his, our sins as far as the east is from, is from the west. He can't remember your sin. So if you're a blizzard person right now, and you don't know Jesus, you're not walking with Jesus, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and you know something's missing, and your life is kind of a mess, and you're struggling to figure out what it is, and you're not satisfied, Jesus says what you need is your sins forgiven. And he's the one that will do it for you. He's calling you. He's saying there's a better way. There's a better way to get what you want if you will come follow me. And if you're a Christian, and you think I've sinned too much and I can't quite get out of this mess, Jesus is saying, I want you, come. I don't remember your sin anymore. You are covered by the blood of the Lamb. When I see you, if you're a follower of Jesus, I see Jesus' righteousness. I don't see your sin anymore. There's an old story about a lady who started believing she was seeing visions of Jesus. And so she went to the, to the archbishop and she said, I've been seeing visions of Jesus. And the archbishop didn't believe her. And he said, uh, All right, yeah, well, really? Well, next time you see Jesus, you tell him, ask him to tell, me, to tell you what was the last sin that I confessed. And so she said, what? She, he goes, you go back the next time you think you see Jesus. You ask Jesus to tell you the, the, the last sin that I confessed. So a few weeks went by. She comes back to the archbishop and she says, I saw Jesus again. And guess what? I asked him. I asked him, what was the last sin you confessed? And the archbishop said, and what did he say? And she said, he said in his exact words, I can't remember. That's what Jesus does for us. If you will put your faith and trust in Jesus, or if you're a Christian, and you're struggling with sin, and you feel like it's hopeless, and that God can't forgive you, and there's no more grace for you, and you can't overcome what you're going through, Jesus says, if you're flawed, I want you. And I can't remember the last sin that you did. Because your sins were covered in the blood. They're as far as the east is from the west. And so when I look at you, I see Jesus' righteousness in you. So why are you looking so blue? Why are you making it all about you? Follow me. Just keep following me, because if you're flawed, I want you. That's grace. And when we get to heaven, we're going to see some people there who are really, we think, are flawed now. We think there's no way that person's going to get there. But we better be very, very careful how we feel about that, and what we say now. Because there's a whole lot of Jews back in Levi's time who never thought that they would see Jesus with this sinner, with this rip-off artist. There's going to be all kinds of people, all kinds of people in heaven who we thought never would be there, but Jesus said, the flawed ones are the ones I want. So if you're flawed this morning, God's grace is for you. If you're struggling as a Christian, and you think you've sinned too much, or you can't figure out how to get out of this mess, God's grace is for you. It's been covered in the blood. Jesus wants flawed people. He came for you, and he walked up to you before you ever walked up to him. And he gave you the grace to respond to him. It's an amazing story, but it even gets more amazing. After Jesus rescued Levi out of the tax booth. 
He goes and says this in verse 15. And as he reclined at table in his house, so Levi got together with Jesus and said, hey, come to my house and let's have a party and celebrate this. So Jesus, as we know from the rest of other, other accounts in the Gospels, is at Levi's house. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Here's Jesus. He rescues Levi. He goes with him to his house for a party. Who's Levi been hanging out with? He's an outcast of his society. He's an outcast of every... The only people Levi can hang out with are other tax collectors and other sinners. Now, sinners doesn't have to be the worst possible people you can think of and extravagant things that we think are horrendous. Sinners were just people who didn't meet up to the standards of the Pharisees, who didn't walk the walk that they thought everybody should walk. They were the tax collectors and sinners, people that were not the right ones, according to them in their societies. But that was Levi's friend. So he invited him over and said, hey, I just follow Jesus. Hang out with Jesus. Let's meet Jesus. And so he has Jesus there. And Jesus, listen, Christian, Jesus is reclining with the tax collectors and sinners at Levi's house. And then all of a sudden, the Pharisees are there. These are the guys doing all the right things. These are the guys who know the Bible. These are the guys who know things. These are the guys who are supposed to be the spiritual leaders. And they see this, and they say, what in the world is going on? The Greek word in this is so intense. It's almost like you could, they were, you could hear them grumbling about this. They were so outraged by this. Because these self-fixed ones are flawed. See, Jesus wants the flawed ones. But the self-fixed ones, he can't help them. Because those are the self-righteous ones. And these Philistines were self-righteous. They thought that they had arrived because they were filled with all kinds of things. Self-righteous people and these Philistine, uh, Pharisees, they were full of facts. I mean, they knew the Bible. They had it memorized. Large chunks of the Bible were memorized. They knew it very well. They knew Scripture they could read the Bible. They felt good about their devotion time. They would do it religiously every morning, every night. They knew Bible facts. If they were going to be at church, they'd be here today. They'd be sitting in the pew because this is what they are supposed to do. And then they see Jesus hanging out with sinners. Self-fixed ones are flawed. Self-righteousness has no place in the kingdom of God. If you're a Christian, you say, well, I, I know all the stuff. I mean, I memorized all the verses. I mean, I'm probably the only person in this church who memorizes the verse of the month. I mean, I know stuff. That ain't right, Jesus. Who do you think you are? You should be hanging out with me. My life, it should be about me. Listen, self-righteousness is destructive. And Jesus is sitting in the sinner's house, and he's making a huge announcement to anybody who thinks they can fix themselves and thinks that they can self-fix themselves. And what he's screaming out at them is, self-fixed people are flawed, and I can't help them. But flawed people, and who know it and acknowledge it, I can help them. 
I want them. But if you're a self-fixed person, you think, I don't need God. I'm a, I can do it on my own. I can turn another leaf. I can figure out how to handle life on my own. I don't need God. I, I can fix myself. Jesus can't help you. You're flawed, though. You may be full of all the facts in the world. You may know all the stuff in the Bible, and you may be able to find stuff on the map of the Old Testament. But if you think that is going to get you something, the Bible says you're flawed. And self-righteous people are often, they're, they're focused on other people. These guys are just focused on not this great miracle, not this amazing scene of grace. These Pharisees who knew the Bible, they come in and the only thing that they can see is Jesus and sinners. And they are so focused on the sinners that they can only focus on that. Self-righteous people are constantly focused on other people. They're always trying to gauge, am I better than this person? Am I better than that person? Are you that way? When you come to church, you say, well, at least I'm not as bad as that. Did you hear about that person? I know their sin, so at least I'm not that bad, so... I'm okay. That's self-righteousness. You may be full of facts, and if you're only focused on other people and every the time constantly evaluating yourself or constantly talking about yourself or about other people, you're a self-righteous person. If you're 40 years old, that's how old I am, and you spend the majority of your time or older, and you're still, as a believer, talking about other people, that's the conversation of your life, other people, you're self-righteous. Because self-righteous people are focused on other people. How's your conversations? Is it about people, or is it about ideas and the kingdom of God? Self-righteous people are full of facts. They're focused on others, and they're constantly frustrated. They're just frustrated that life's not going the way it's supposed to go for them because they know Bible verses, they know Jesus, they know God, they know this, they've done this, they've done this, they've done this, they've done this. But it doesn't seem to go well for them. And so you get a lot of self-righteous people and they're often frustrated. They're often down in the dumps. They're often discouraged. That's what these Pharisees were. They were full of facts, focused on others, and they were just completely frustrated with this Jesus. He didn't fit their mold. J.C. Riley said this, The true cure for self-righteousness is self-knowledge. Once let the eyes of our understanding be opened by the Spirit, and we shall talk no more of our own goodness. Once let us see what there is in our own hearts, and what the holy law of God requires, and self-conceit will die. We shall lay our hands on our mouths and cry with the leper, Unclean! Unclean! Jesus once flawed people who understand that they're flawed, who see their sin, know their sin, but also see the grace of God, see the amazing love that God has for them and says, I'm flawed, but Jesus, cover me in your grace. I need you. Or on the other hand, he completely rejects people who say, I'm pretty good, but look at all of them. Can you believe they did that? Look what they're doing. And they never once take a second to look at our own hearts and say, hey, if everybody knew everything about you, what would they say about you? Flawed ones, Jesus wants. So if you're flawed, and you see your sin, and you know it, and you feel it, Jesus can help you. But if you think that you have a little bit better than somebody else, 
that you've cleaned your life up, that adding Jesus to your life has made you more presentable, a suburb delight that people can look at? Jesus says, I can't help you because you are self-righteous and you're flawed. So what are we supposed to do? Flawed people come to Jesus. Self-righteous ones, see yourself as flawed and repent and come to Jesus. But here's what Jesus says. And when Jesus heard it, when he heard these self-righteous Pharisees murmuring and complaining and arguing, he looks them right in the eye and he said, those who are well have no need of of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Here's what Jesus would say to us. If you're a follower of Jesus, he would say, flawed one, flawed fixed ones. If you've seen yourself as a sinner, if you've seen yourself as flawed and needing help and you've reached out to Jesus, asked him to forgive you, he has forgiven you. He's covered you in his blood. You are righteous before God. You have every access. He is your daddy. He's your Abba Father. You can run to him constantly. He'll never leave you, never forsake you. If you are a flawed one that's been fixed by Jesus, he says, follow my example. Follow my example. Jesus says, I didn't come to save the righteous. I came to sick. The ones who are healthy don't need a doctor. Only those who are sick. Are you following Jesus' example? Jesus was absolutely confident in the truth. When he went to Levi's house, he didn't have to go and pretend he was not the Son of God. And there's a lot of people saying we've got to reach people and we've got to go for sinners. That's absolutely true. But to reach them and to reach people who are not following Christ, we don't have to become exactly like them. Jesus sat with sinners and he was the Son of God. He didn't sin. He didn't change who he was to be with those people. He was Jesus. And they knew he was righteous. They knew he was right, but there was something about his righteousness that just exuded love. They, they noticed that this guy is so righteous. He doesn't do the exact same things that we do, but he loves us still. He's, he's, it's attractive. Do you exude that? Are you confident in the truth? That's the example that Jesus follows. Or when you get with unsaved people, people who don't know Jesus, do all of a sudden you change? Do you talk differently? You say, that's just high school stuff. No, it's not. I've worked with enough people in different places who've said they're Christians where one moment you're having a conversation with them and then all of a sudden you, wait, what, what? I thought we were just talking about Jesus and now you are no different acting than anybody else. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus was confident in the truth. When he reached people, he didn't change the truth, but he loved them and he had absolute compassion for people. That's the example that we are supposed to follow. Be confident with the truth of God's word and what God's word says about who he is and not change it, but exude so much compassion for people that they are drawn to that message and lives will be changed. That's the power of the gospel. There's a church sign that I think is great. It says, we love hurting people. That can be taken two ways. We, we love hurting people. Come to our church. We'll beat you down, man. Life's rough. Come to our church, man. We'll smack you down. We'll make you feel like scum. You're a sinner. We'll make you feel like it. There's one way you can take that. Or we can be like Jesus and show compassion 
and be a church that says, we love hurting people. Levi was a hurting guy, looking for satisfaction, looking for something to give his meaning in his life. He was hurting. Jesus walked up to him and said, Levi, I know you're hurting. I have what you need. Follow me. What kind of people are we going to be, Cornerstone? Have we become so used to a structure of church that when we start hearing people living different ways, talking different ways, doing different things, that we all of a sudden, instead of embracing them in love and trying to think of ways to reach them, we start saying, no, 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 we're just going to confine ourselves here because your sinners and your publicans and your your tax collectors, you're no good, we're good. Or are we going to be a church that says, we're going to follow Jesus' example and we're going to love the hurting The ones who are sinning, looking for the same thing you were looking for. Hope and satisfaction and a reason to live. A reason for hope. And they may be finding it in ways that absolutely appall you. And disgust you. But Jesus says, he walked up to them and he says, follow me. And he calls us as a church to follow Jesus' example. Because don't forget where you came from. Don't forget the sinner that you were. It took just the same amount of grace it took to save you as it takes to save the worst sinner you know. How would you feel? Who in our community would you not want to show up at church on Sunday? Who would you say if they walked into Cornerstone and would say, hmm, they shouldn't be here. Can you believe that they came to church? I wonder why they came. That's self-righteous Pharisees. Jesus says, I can't help those people. But are we going to be a church that says, I'm going to love sinners. I don't have to change to be like them, but I'm going to love them. I'm going to allow myself to be around them. I have never been called, as far as I know, never been called a friend of sinners. Never. I don't remember anybody saying, hey, Paul, hey, that's Paul. He's a friend of sinners. That's not good. Jesus was called a friend of sinners. Not because he acted like them, not because he changed to be like them, because he was, but he was truth and he had compassion on them and he loved them. Where are we going to be? The amazing thing for us is that Levi, the thing that he wanted most is he wanted a seat at the table. He was probably, who knows, maybe poor in his life, and he saw that he could make money with the Romans. And he said, now I can finally have what I want. I can be wealthy. I can have a big house in town. I can have the things that I desire, the extra cars, the stuff. So I'll become a, I'll, I'll, tra- I'll be a trader for my nation so I can get what I want because I just want a seat at the table. I just want to be somebody. I want a voice. But doing it Levi's way, He had no seat at the table. He was an outcast in his society. And he had no voice. He couldn't even vote in his own nation. But the amazing thing about the grace of God is Levi is Matthew. 
Levi's name was changed to Matthew. Levi is the guy who wrote the book of Matthew. When Jesus came to Levi, the tax collector, the cheat, the liar, and he said, follow me, Jesus came to him and said, listen, I've got grace for you. I've got everything you need. Follow me. The things that you really deeply desire, Levi, a seat at the table and a voice, I've got for you. And he came to Jesus, and Jesus gave him a seat at the table. He was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, and he gave him a voice. He wrote the book of Matthew. Everything Levi wanted, he got through Jesus. And when you read Matthew's account of himself, when he lists in Matthew 3 the, the, the names of the disciples, he lists all the disciples, and then he says, Matthew, the tax collector. Why does he do that? I think Matthew did that because he never got over the grace of God in his life. He could never got over that Jesus came for me, a sinner, a tax collector. He came for me. Remember me? I was the tax collector, but Jesus changed my life. Have you forgotten the grace of God in your life? Have you forgotten that? Don't do it. You say, my life feels like a blizzard in December. I would say to you, come to Jesus. He wants you. Follow him. If you're a Christian and you're, not, you're all caught up in sin and it's a struggle, maybe it's because of there's some self-righteousness in your life and you need to repent. And Jesus would say, repent and come to me. Acknowledge who you are and follow me. Flawed ones, I want. Self-fixed ones, I can't help. But flawed, fixed ones, follow my example. Follow me. Share the love and the grace of the gospel, because Jesus went to the cross for that. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart Lord, I need you, oh, I need you Every hour I need you My one defense, my righteousness Your grace is more Grace is found Is where you are Where you are Lord, I have faith Holiness Is Christ in me
temptation comes my way. When I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and stay. Oh God, how I need